People Smart, enabling organisations and individuals to be disability inclusive and accessible. Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of the Be People Smart podcast. My name is Jodie Greer and I am the founder of Be People Smart. So I will be busting more myths today, but before I tell you what they are, I'm really excited that I am joined by one of my favourite people in this world, um, Mr. Jamie Shields. Jamie, can you introduce yourself, please? I can indeed. A favourite people in the world that just made my week there. Um, so my name is Jamie Shields. I am a registered blind ADHD rhino, and you're probably going, oh, what does he mean? Well, I am disabled or have a disability. I was born with it, um, and then over time I got registered blind, and I kind of have this, so when people kind of talk about models with disability and their identity, I always have people challenge me in my whole life saying, oh, you should say this, you should say that. So I chose to be a registered blind rhino because rhinos are just chubby unicorns and they have poor eyesight. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I've heard that before, but I'm sure our listeners who haven't found you yet will uh, enjoy that one. So... um Anyone who's on LinkedIn, I'll be surprised if you haven't come across Jamie. Oh, no, don't you say that like a bad thing. It's, I think LinkedIn, yeah, like um, I, I chat to everybody. Like I'm a wee social butterfly on there, so I am. And I'm lucky to have went viral. Like, was it like two months ago? One of my posts absolutely blew up. But I ended up, I was a Sunday and I had like 18,000 likes to this post and like thousands of shares. And I kind of was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And I rang my mum. I was like, I think I went viral. <laughs> You certainly did, and it's quite impressive. And um, there's other sides to uh, Jamie's LinkedIn journey because that's how we actually met. And um, now I class Jamie as a friend, and he stuck with me. Stuck with you. I torture you with WhatsApp voice notes <laughs> because my eyesight, I'm terrible at spelling, Judy. Is, I, I think if I ever had a problem or had a type of document, I'll come to you because you'll be able to point it out. But I make so many typos, and we just laugh at them. And I think, it's, I think LinkedIn is, it really does help you find people who, you probably never would have met if you weren't on there because it was we were able to talk about our passions and your work and I obviously came across your model and it was just like why isn't why isn't everybody using this model and the more we kind of connected the more it's like oh my god I found my soul sister in this space. <laughs> so yeah no it's been it's been so good so far and obviously we've got so much more that we can do um and on that note so we've got some really interesting myths to bust today and they are one that um, human beings fit into these nice, neat diversity pillars. And the other one is that being blind means seeing nothing. Because that's a really interesting one as well. So, Jamie, you and I obviously have very different lived experience. Mm. Um, You know, you are obviously disabled and you're very open about it. So I'm kind of jumping us, I guess, to the second myth there. But when we talk about your own lived experience, you are registered blind, but you can see. <laughs> yeah, I can see. People are always shocked at that. You know, when I tell people I'm registered blind, the first thing I hear is, where's your guide dog or where's your cane? And I'm like, listen, you would not trust me with a guide dog. I'd leave it sitting outside like a shop or a bar outside of work or something because I've just made the HDF to get everything. Um, but then as well as that there, they ask me, and all, like, can you read Braille? Can you do this? And I'm like, well, no, because only 10% of people who actually are blind can read Braille. So I, um, I, I've had a wee bit of a journey, so I have what I suppose to people I'm not actually fully blind, and they'll point at things and be like, can you see this? The whole finger's off. But I'm like, 
listen, the easiest way to explain it to anybody is I'm the same as an albino. So I'm the same as an albino, only with pigmentation. And then I have nystagmus, which means my eyes like to go for little spins or little walks, I call them. Um, so the technical term is, uh, medical term is technical. The medical term is ocular albinism with nystagmus. Um, and like it's hereditary in my family. So legally not allowed to drive. I can see what you see in 20 meters. I have to be at least five meters close to see what you kind of see. But even then, there's still parts missing and blurred and things like that. So I also tell people sometimes, it's like, you know, when you see fog at night and you're walking into the fog and you kind of deeper in the fog, it goes and kind of more blurred across. That's kind of like me with my vision. It's like walking through fog. <laughs> and I think that's really important for people to understand because I've heard this from so many people and including people who do use white canes and do have guide dogs. Um, there's this assumption from people around them that that means they see nothing. And of course, that isn't the case. So it's just really important that if you want to know how much help someone needs or what they do want from you or need from you, that you ask them. Yeah, 100%. Like, I, I think for me, I because, because I, I have a head disability, people kind of just, um, when I told them it was just like, oh, like I'm trying to think of an example. So like if I was in a shop, for example, and I said, can I get some help here? I, I don't see what I'm looking for. It'll be like, well, if it's not there and you can't see it, it's not, you know, we don't have it. And that, then you have to kind of go through the purpose and be like, listen, I'm actually registered blind and I actually can't see you what's down here. So if you could help me. And it's like, oh, well, you don't look disabled. And it's, it's that whole head and disability where you kind of, it's, it's hidden, but it's, it's not, but it shouldn't be forgotten. So when I tell you or to have to disclose that you should know, but like I've always had a journey where, I didn't always feel comfortable to even say I was disabled or had a disability. And I used to tell people I was just like, I had bad eyesight and I needed glasses, but I didn't have them with me. Now, glasses will never improve my eyesight. They'll never help me. And the doctors openly told me, I was just like, you know, you can wear glasses on a computer, but ultimately it's not going to do anything for you. So I kind of went through the stages. Like, I don't want to tell people I was registered blind. I thought it made me seem weak. I think it would make me feel less of a person because to me I've always had pity when I was growing up it was pity I was a little kid in school who was picked on because he was disabled I had a classroom assistant for a few hours a day and you know you, you just kind of learn the negative side or have the negative feelings towards being disabled so I really struggled with that and over time I told people I needed glasses and then I started saying oh I have bad eyesight and then just to complete lack of support and employment discrimination ableism had more jobs and hot dinners so I did for a while I was just I, I just realized I had to start telling people and then I kind of stumbled into my current job and I decided I was going to go with this title of registered blind rhino because I, as I said the rhinos are just chubby unicorns and I am openly gay and I think for me I see slags all the time for anyone who doesn't understand slags is mocked I used to get mocked because people could tell I was gay when I was young wish they would have told me actually sat me down and had a conversation and said okay. slag and but they used to call me names for it and they used to always shout at me, oh, where's your unicorn? And I used to shout back, oh, it's parked outside. So now I've taken that piece of my identity, so that's where the unicorn part came from. And the more I kind of learned about rhinos, I was just like, oh my God, like a parasite. And then my friend bought me this book that was like, rhinos are just chubby unicorns. So it all kind of clicked together. And now when I say it, I'm like, people then don't go, oh, you don't look disabled. The first question they go to is, what do you mean, a rhino? So <laughs> it takes away all that kind of hate, I think. Yeah, no, I like that. Um, and I want to actually go back to some of that in a sec so we can talk about these DNI pillars. But, um, you know, you talked about obviously going through a journey and so on. What tools do help you? So it's really hard to ask that because I don't think I'm as clued into what I probably should need. And I think a lot of that comes down to 
I, I, I'm 32 now. I only really find my confidence in being able to articulate that I needed a little bit of specific technology or I needed some support. So I've kind of went through trial and error the past three years and most of my life, like, you know, I've tried different screen readers and Zoom text and for some reason, I don't like most of them. I, I get really agitated by the voice and some of the doctors have said to me, maybe it's because if you're ADHD, the whippy is stuff, it's stuff that's like triggers you. And I'm like, no, because you can change the voice. It's nothing to do with that. I just, I think for me, it's a lot of that confidence. I don't want to appear to other people that, oh, he's a bit left because he has to rely on a piece of technology or if that piece of technology is suddenly taken away or got a new job. I back to square one of having to find that independence and trying to find what tools to use. So I usually just have used Zoom on my computer and use the own built-in Google screen reader, which isn't a great idea. So if anyone's listening to this who is in the same boat, please don't take my advice. Um, <laughs> but over time, like I started to kind of trial different things. And like, you know, at the moment I use Jaws, not, not Jaws, Dragon at the side of my desk. And it's more for obviously offline work when I'm doing documents or emails because I work in a very admin heavy role. So it helps me there. But when I'm online, I just, I, I, I zoom in and I use the Google still and I think for me the biggest adjustment that I have is I need to have the biggest size monitor that you can give me ideally I need to actually tour them so then I can kind of go from one screen to the other so I need really large monitors I need to make sure that I have some kind of I don't know what you actually call it this is a terrible because I work in the space I don't even know what you call it but do you know, like an adjustable arm so like I have an arm in the back of my computer which I can pull forward up down I was actually going to start doing it I realised this is audio um, but so you can pull it all around and it means I can stand up and look down at my computer or I can sit back and look up at my computer. So it kind of really supports my posture because no matter what adjustments I have or no matter what size my screen, I'm still going to strain forward to see the computer, which obviously leads to really bad back posture. And again, it's because everything in front of me is a blur. So I don't want to give up my independence, that last bit of sight that I have or that bit of sight that I do have. When I use adjustments, I think sometimes I feel less for it. And I know it should empower me, and I am learning to feel more empowered in my screen reader, but it's just hard, you know, it's a really personal journey, I think, when you're trying adjustments, and I think because I'm 32 now, and I've been through times where I've trialed so much stuff, it's, you almost start to give up a little wee bit, but thankfully my employer did not let me, and they're constantly throwing your adjustments at me. <laughs> Thank you. Do you know what? It's so important to be so honest and open, because I know there are going to be people listening to this that are like, Thank you. All these people seem to have it all sorted. They've found all their assistive technology. Everything's great. And I'm still trial and error, testing new things, and nothing seems to be quite right for me. Because it is. It's so personal. It can be really tough. It really is. And, you know, like, in work, I think in work, because when you start a new employer, like, you know, like, disability passports and things like that, they weren't a thing when I really started to work in. Employers didn't really understand that you had a disability or what it actually meant they just seen you as a shiny object oh we have a disabled person working for us or an expense and you wouldn't even get the job they would be like oh we don't want to hire you so for me like when I had to have a conversation with adjustments it was always what do you need and how do you ask somebody who has struggled with their life with a disability how do they tell you what they need we don't know what we need what I probably needed most was a hug and somebody to tell me it was going to be okay and that's what my mum really did she was my cheerleader but even she didn't have the answers and I then realised that I had to start asking for help from the likes of the RNAB and, you know, just having conversations with them, you know, what, what will work for me, what won't. But I even found with them, I think it's fantastic, I even found with them, even sometimes the stuff they were telling me I needed, I was like, I don't know what this means, I don't know how to use this. And there's this fear and there's this uncertainty. And I think because we, we don't stay in the same job our whole lives, we move around and 
start every time I move around or get a new job, I panic. Even if it's promotion, I kind of panic because you know that adjustments aren't static. They're going to change and they're going to fluctuate. And I, I'm at the moment in my life and probably in the best situation for my adjustments because I have my dragon sitting there and I actually make a joke about it. Then it's like, do you want a movie, How to Train Your Dragon? Because that's literally what it's like in my accent. Like I've had this for about two months and I'm still shouting at it going, please listen and understand my Northern accent. But trying to get, so trying to go through that process of training it up, it's, it's exhausting as well, especially with screen readers and accents. And it's, I'm not trying to make it seem like it's difficult because it's not difficult. And these are meant to empower us, but I think finding the confidence and the empowerment to use them and to realize it's not a weakness, it's not, um, it's not taking away your confidence itself. I'm rambling now, but you know what I mean. You know what I mean. <laughs> no, no, you're not. And actually, it, it does resonate. And it's so similar to what I've heard from so many people, particularly the thing about not wanting to stand out unless they choose to. Um, and so on that note, this is just a specific um, piece of kit. But do you have a, a high contrast keyboard? Uh, so I actually have a keyboard that lights up. So I actually went and bought myself it because I said to my partner, I was like, I just want a keyboard that if I look down, the keyboard is big enough and the letters are kind of white, but the bolder than white. So we went on Amazon and we paid £60 for a keyboard, which is absolutely bonkers. But now I use my podcast, my gaming, my work. So it's like a three-in-one for me, but I've seen the keyboards and I had keyboards. Like I went to a specialist. Um, school and I hate the work back to school so for me I had I went to an accessible school what was inclusive and supportive of kids who were blind or visually impaired and there was kids there who were deaf as well so it was very much small classes small classes and we were supported now in school we had every adjustment under the sun we had TVs that you could put your book under and it would have all the words on the screen. We would have those keyboards with massive, 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 massive keys and mouses that were probably bigger than my hand. And everything was so kitted out. And because I kind of was traveling so far to go to school, I left all education and went back straight into mainstream after doing my GCSE. So I kind of fell back into the reality of, oh my goodness, what have I done? There's no support in mainstream education. They don't understand. So I chose, I opted to do art because we can tell you you're doing wrong in art. You're not copying from a board, you're doing your own work. So for me, like I think, I always look for the easy way out when you have the use adjustments. I didn't want to feel that, not, not that it was embarrassing to use, but I wanted to be like my friend. I'm not fully blind. I wanted to be like everybody else. And it's quite obvious if I'm walking down the street in the sun that you can tell, like I'm coming on, almost touching the wall. Or if we're if I'm in a bar or a nightclub, I hold on to my partner by the hand because it's so dark and I can't really see. So I, I try to do the most normal, and I do that in inverted commas, the most normal kind of things. And I think if I was using an, a phone in a, a bar with a screen reader or like, you know, like looking at my phone the way I do, people have gone about tell by clearly that I have a disability so for me I'm like if I'm using those adjustments it's going to draw more attention to me and most of my life the attention I got from my disability negative seems my sexuality I get bullied for it I get insulted for it so I think I have a lot of work to do in terms of my own confidence using adjustments but it's definitely a wee journey. Yeah no because it's interesting to say because for some people and again it's just personal and everyone's so different for some people if you offer them a high contrast keyboard that's got bright yellow keys and so it really does it's like a beacon on a desk yeah um, they're like, yeah, you know, I need it. Fantastic. Love it. And so many people that would really benefit from something like that are like, no, 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 no. I'm not being the person with the bright yellow yeah. keyboard. It's that confidence. It really is that confidence. And 
Like it's the same as your your whole journey of disability. If you have a lived experience of disability, you know the way that we express that lived experience changes. Like I only recently said, sort of said, I'm, I I can use I'm a disabled person. Or I think when we actually start speaking to it, I used to tell you, oh, I don't like saying I'm disabled because it makes me seem like I'm less something. And like in, in that short, but not even short amount of time, but the past couple of months, that's changed. If I can say that, and like I'm comfortable say person first language, person with disability, or identity disabled person. I'm comfortable with both. However things change and we're on this wee journey to we are and I think the same can be said if you're confident with disability you will have times where you feel that you're on top of your game because you may have like myself I have a screener at the moment which is for offline which is really really good if you don't have Dragon Dragon is brilliant and one of the things I like most about Dragon is it's cheaper than most of the other screen readers and when you think about individuals in their own lives, we're happy to use screen, free screen readers. Google is okay. It's not the best. Like you have NDDA, it's a screen reader. It's free as well. It's good. But the likes of the Dragon or the Dolphin or those kind of bigger ones, they're so expensive. And how do you afford that in your personal life? So of course we grew up struggling and having these issues with adjustments because we see them as a cost. And it's the same as everything with disability. There's so many costs involved. It's, disability is just a game of it's like a game of money so it is <laughs> these adjustments cost so much money <laughs> yeah I mean that's always a challenge as well and of course in larger companies mm. um if someone can get a workstation you know workplace assessment then in larger companies it's often a lot more possible to get all the adjustments yeah. you need but it's also really important then that those people that are considered the trained assessors for that organization recognize that personal journey because it's too easy to kind of go in with a toolkit so you know for instance if somebody's visually impaired these are the things we can offer this bright yellow keyed keyboard jaws um you know zoom text for magnification and maybe you know a large monitor so that is the toolkit but then obviously you speak to an individual who says oh no no i don't want the really large monitor because it's going to just you know what I'm the different person I don't want the bright yeah. yellow keys because it's going to be really obvious um and sometimes it's actually not practical either because if this person yeah. travels quite a lot they need to find a solution that works for them on the go yeah. so there's all these bits that go with it but it too I don't want to say easy but it kind of is a bit lazy as well oh, to come up with this toolkit that you think you've kind of ticked all the boxes and it's kind of like you're saying to a user, well, you can have this or that's, you know, that's it. That's what's in the bag. And so I hear that. I get asked questions around that from many different people is, you know, what, what sort of adjustments does somebody with this impairment need? And I'm like, I can tell you what I potentially may need. I may not be able to tell you exactly what I need because I'm still not journey, but it, it's so individual to that person. And I think that when we look at it from a disability view that, oh, what does this disability need and what does this disability need? That's the wrong attitude because adjustments or accommodations, these benefit everybody. We all need adjustment or accommodation in our life at some point. We always talk about accessibility and accessible and universal design benefit everybody. And it's the same is true of adjustments and accommodations. You know, if you break your, your arm or leg, you can't be disabled. You might need a specialist keyboard, you might need a specialist mouse. So, why are we looking at that disabled lens and saying, oh, what will this disabled person need? No, let's look at the individual. What does that individual need? Because we all know two people with the same lived experience will have very different ways of navigating the world. Like, 
pick me and my uncle, for example, we may look like each other. My uncle's only a few years older than me, which is um, handy <laughs> when I was younger, getting his ID. Um, so he is only a few years older than me, but he has the same eyesight condition. So it's hereditary in my family. My other uncle has it too. And what he needs is completely different to what I need. And it's again, because that couple of years difference, he would have grown up differently in school, or had different experiences or been exposed to different things. And I would have been the same. And then his older brother again, he would have been exactly the same. Same eyesight condition, but completely different. And it's because of the way that we've navigated society. Like I know, I tell people I blindly, I don't know how I got through life. And I'll be honest, I blindly went through life. So I did. And I always say, like, I think I probably pushed myself harder because of my disability. And it's, really going through a stage where it impacted my mental health because I wasn't taking the help I needed. I wasn't being kind to myself, the people who wanted to help me, like my mum, my dad, my siblings, I pushed them all away because I was like, stop telling everybody I'm disabled. Like, I'm not special, like, leave me alone. And I, I, I just, I went into a really, really dark place and I binge drank and my mental health was said to nosedive, but it was because I wasn't being kind to myself. And I think because I was comparing myself to, well, my uncle seems to be okay and he's doing this and he's doing that. And I would try the software he was using and it wouldn't work for me. And then I would feel even worse. So when we start to compare and contrast and look at adjustments and accommodations from, oh, what sort of things are we getting for somebody's visiting impaired or somebody's deaf? That's the wrong attitude. You need to have a conversation with that person. We're the subject matter experts in our own lived experience. Yeah, definitely. And so if you're listening and you're responsible in any way for workplace assessments, Please not only consider obviously individual needs, but make sure you're reaching out for help from people who understand those needs so that they can actually help you find the best solutions for each individual. Um, I want to go back to what you were just saying, Jamie, because I really appreciate the fact that you've, you know, been so open again. And you and I have spoken about some of your uh, history before. So I wasn't brushing over that if anyone's thinking I was. Um, <laughs> It is. It's a really powerful story, and it again, it that kind of whole vulnerability piece really helps other people to resonate, and probably also think like, "Thank you, you know, I'm not alone." Um, but now you have embraced your own identities. Do you feel like you are also being kinder to yourself, and has it helped your mental health? Um, I I can't believe it. Just one second about that because to me, I'm like. Like I went through, when I say like I was taking so many antidepressants, I was taking so many anxiety tablets and I tried to wean myself off them at one point and we know that when you're all those tablets, your chemicals be all over the place. So I did definitely, I wasn't in a very good place even before I started AMS and it was because of the experiences and now when I look back three years ago, I'm like, oh my God, I am not the same person. Like I think if I want to walk past myself in the street, I walk with my head higher and I know I sound silly, but I feel, I feel easier, not easier, I feel, I feel it's easier to articulate my lived experience, whereas before when I started AMS and they asked me, what adjustments did you need? I broke down completely because I was like, what do you mean? You want to understand me? Like everyone tells me what I need or says, no, we're going to send you for an access to work referral, which doesn't come through for weeks and weeks and then you've left at that stage. And it was the first time people actually put me in the driving seat. And I think that, in the three years, it's like I've made up for a whole lifetime of what I've been through because I always say, go big or go home. And I think that's what I've done with my mental health and with my confidence. Like I came on to LinkedIn thinking I was coming on to find people for jobs. And what I actually ended up doing is almost using it as a way to kind of express some of my frustrations and that past hurt and that trauma from employment and being disabled. And I kind of was seeing people 
reacting to it and kind of agreeing with it and share their own experiences. And we, we, we know that we're discriminated against. We know ableism ableism's real in society and we know others experience things that we experience, but you don't really ever stop to think about those other people. And when you heard the post about it, people responding, I was just like, oh my God, I'm really not alone in this. Oh my God, I am not as... I don't know what word to use. I'm not as, I was going to say crazy, but I don't like that word because it makes me my ADHD not sound good. And it's a really bad thing to say, but it did. I used to think that I was this lost person. And now I'm like, I'm not lost. I feel like I'm a shepherd now. And I'm like, come follow me, come on. And everyone talks about the good side of disability or the, the, the challenges, but nobody ever goes into the mental health side, I noticed. And it's not, they don't, no, some do, but don't be really honest and say, there's times where you'll sit there and kick yourself and say, why didn't I speak up? Why didn't I tell him I couldn't do that? Why didn't I tell him I need an adjustment? And being able to now sit back today and be like, I'm the person in the background going, say, oh, come on, come on. And like, you know, like a, like a parent tending you to do it. And I think to me, that, that shift in confidence, like my mum told me that she's so proud of me. And like, she always told her, tell me she's proud of me. But she says like the fact that before you came in your disability, like, I, 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 it's hard for me it's really hard for me to try to articulate this because like, I, I was in such a dark place like I'm very lucky that I'm here today because I was in a darker place and to be able and it was because I was confused with my sexuality it was confused with my disability I didn't have an identity and now I'm like I've created my own identity I'm a rhino I'm an ADHD by rhino and I love it and I think that if I can lend my voice to one person or they can associate to my experience and maybe that one person will stop and think, actually, do you know what? I've had enough of this too. And that's what's happened. I've had enough. I'm like, no, life's too short. I want to be there to help others, if that makes sense. You've been through this. I'm rambling because I'm getting a wee bit emotional. Over it. But, you know, it's, it's important. It's definitely important. I've definitely changed. No, first of all, good. Secondly, <laughs> you're not rambling. And thirdly... <laughs> Um, you've actually proven yourself to be empowering for other people and to be a wonderful shepherd because even if people only looked on LinkedIn, just by literally the way you give people a channel and you give people a voice where they can also share. And, yeah, I mean, those things are invaluable. So don't undersell any of that. <laughs> I always understand. Do, you know when, do you know when you talk about yourself, I, I, I've always struggled with it. Like when people would say, oh, give me your compliment. You know, the person like looks straight away, that's me. I'm like, oh my God, don't compliment me. <laughs> Whereas like now I'm like, when somebody says, oh, I agree with that. Or, you know, I thank you for saying that. And I'm like, do you know what? I, I'm so happy because to me, it's a bit like, it's a bit like free therapy. I'm popping out to the world. The stuff that in my head would have put it away years ago, the stuff that would have left me crying at night and the things that would have made me flash out the punch a wall because I was so upset, frustrated. I'm putting that out to the world, I think, because I'm getting rid of it and opening it up for people to talk about. I think that's where the confidence comes from and the empowerment. It's, it's taking the negative and spinning it into a positive for yourself. And I always see my past struggles as barriers and shame and do that kind of that, that kind of thinking. And now I'm like, do you know what? I wasn't at fault. Like, I'm ready to blind, but it's society that disabled me. It was society that didn't support me. It was the medical... The doctors who were putting me in tablets weren't actually looking into the deeper issue. My mental health was contributed because I made ADHD and I wasn't getting diagnosed with it. So, you know, I think of that and I'm like, society disabled me. And today I'm like, if I can take society and kind of shout at it a little bit through my content and support people, I'm like, yes, let's do it. <laughs>
And do you know what? I'm really glad that you found the real Jamie Shield because <laughs> we all get to benefit from him. So, yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> Sorry, world. <laughs> um, and actually, that goes quite nicely into the other myth that I mentioned about diversity pillars, because this is a, a big thing of mine. And I know something you're quite passionate about, Jamie, um, especially from lived experience. But we very rarely see within organisations a true focus on intersectionality. Sometimes there's a notional mention. And even, and I'm a big believer in employee networks or employee resource groups, whatever, however they're framed. Um, and so, yes, they tend to be specific diversity pillars for those groups. And I get that. But the actual strategies tend to be very much in pillars. And then it's a case of, you know, at each individual, you've got to choose where you can spare your time and yep. which one do you gravitate to? Where do you belong? And well, Jamie, do you belong in the LGBTQ+, the neurodiverse or the disability one? Well, it depends what hat I'm wearing that day. And that's the way I explain it to people is, we don't come to work and like, I don't leave my gay hat at the door and then put on my disabled hat and then put on my neurodiverse hat. Or like I also say in Northern Ireland, there's also, we have a colourful history in Northern Ireland, so we do. And I think there's also that element of religion comes in in Northern Ireland. And I try to stay clear for it, but in my previous employment, it was always somewhat kind of by prominent as well. And I think that in work, we forget that we don't just fit into that one box. We really don't. Like, we don't have that one mindset or that one lived experience. And in fact, those identities, these pieces that make us up is actually how we begin to view the world. And that intersectionality is beautiful and we should be celebrating it. And employee resource groups, they're phenomenal. They can build that community, but those communities are intersectional. And I think sometimes we miss that. And whenever I'm asked, how can we elevate our ERG or how can we move to the next level? I'm like, well, why aren't you doing crossover events? on those days what you're celebrating why aren't you talking about yes you, you can be a black disabled person you can be a black neurodiverse deaf person you know, there's so much more that i'm disabled or i'm gay and for me like i've never I, i've never worked anywhere like ams and like, i've never worked at an organization where the culture is as people and like i've worked for some reason, I'm not going to say names with my previous employers, that's because I obviously I'm not that kind about them, but if you want to see them, they're definitely somewhere. Um, so a lot of those employers I worked in, there was no representation of a gay person in the workplace. There was no disabled leaders. There was no disabled gay people talking about that. And for me, I always thought that you couldn't be anything like that in work. You couldn't talk about who you were at work. You had to come in and be like everybody else. And, you know, we, we were just thankful we'd have to wear school uniform because it was almost very regulated, I saw work as. And over time, working at AMS, I can remember going into the office and there was pride flags and there was just people talking about who they were. And AMS is a really diverse workforce, people from all around the world. And you hear a lot of different accents and you hear a lot of different just opinions and views. And, you know, it, it kind of can blow your little mind when you're somebody from Northern Ireland, a real small, tiny Catholic town and you're not really exposed to the world. And, you know, I kind of did blow my mind and I started telling my family, I was like, I work at Google. It's like the Google, because you imagine Google being this really amazing open place and I tell everybody this. And I realised that it was it was because of the people and like AMS and other organisations who have that diverse workforce. When we do focus on just one ERG, we're not getting the 100% authentic person, are we? And I think that's something that AMS, I feel they are elevated on is they have, uh, they have people who interact in the ERGs. We have those sessions where we sit down and say, right, 
right? How can the Black Employee Resource Group support disability this month? Or how can neurodiversity support a women in business, ERG? And I think that's where the moments that matter really do come in because we're not individual to just one identity. We're fluid, we're beautifully diverse. And like I said, I don't take off my gay hat to go to work and put on my disabled hat. <laughs> and that's exactly it because... As I say, I genuinely stand behind the value of ERGs. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I led one for over a decade, so I'm kind of biased. But I um, I just feel that we sort of really do miss a beat. We, there's a lot of talk about bringing your whole self to work. But if you, that's what you actually want to enable and that's yeah. what you want to encourage, you need to walk the walk and not just yeah. walk the talk. And even with ERGs, for instance, you know, people only have so much time in their day and they've still yeah. got day jobs. So they've got to choose where to spend that time. So it's things like, even if you're not maybe an active member, how Mm. do you still have a voice through that channel? Because you are part of that group. You know, your lived experience is directly part of that group. And it may be that you choose, I mean, uh, Jamie, you can obviously say, because I know that you are heavily involved in the ERG AMS, um, you know, you need to choose effectively if you go down the disability route or the LGBTQ plus route, or if you had a separate one, the neurodiverse yeah. route, you know, you, you've got to make those choices for yourself yeah. as to where you're resonating more. But it doesn't mean you don't want to voice elsewhere, does it? And exactly. And I think that's something when I started AMS. I told everybody in AMS, and this is only the opposite of last year, but two years ago, sorry, I used to say I'm like a cobweb at AMS. I'm in every group and every worksheet going. And it was because I remember coming in and everyone saying, there's groups that you can get involved in, it's more than work. And I was like, what do you mean? It's fun at work. I'm like, I joined the LGBT group, I joined the disability group, I joined the neurodiversity group, I joined the charity group, I joined our Belfast Entertainment Social Team group. Do you know what I mean? I got five groups alone. And then I joined the cultural diversity group. And it, so it just kept adding and adding. And I started looking at my diary in the week. I was like, wow, my diary's taking off wars of like, not actual work. Am I going to get bothered for this? And I think that's where organisations have went wrong in the past historically is, you don't get the time given to you. It's not written into your personal development that you should be you know, embracing these. It's not even embracing. You should be participating or given the time to participate, engage and recognise for it. Because that's, people people want to come to work. and They want to get their living. Obviously, they want to get their living. But if you want to retain people, they have to be able to bring their whole 100% selves to work. And when you're restricting them to only one piece of their identity, or they're not getting the time to talk about something that maybe is bothering them as a black disabled person or in my case as a blind LGBT person you know I say there's this there's this there's this thing that you have to do when you're LGBTQ plus and you're disabled and that is you have to come out hi I'm, I'm Jamie I'm disabled oh I'm also um LGBT gay well I said gay I don't have to go through the whole um alphabet there so I don't but you know what I mean like I'll come out and say it straight away and I think that sometimes is that that's hard for somebody like, as I said, I got bullied for being gay. I got bullied for being disabled. So for me, I think the two is by separate entities. I'm two really negative ent- um, entities. But in AMS and cultures where you are forced enough, you can bring yourself and your values around authenticity, I started being able to strip it back. But I did struggle because I wasn't able to bring the whole conversation. I could only bring part of the conversation to that group, but I bring the other part of this group. And over time, like, it was one of the things I very much vocalized when I became our Global Disability Employee Resource Group lead. Um, it was that, well, actually, I want to be still part of this here. I want it to connect up here. And like AMS, I think, and I, I sound like I'm really absolutely seamless as we plug in AMS here, but you know, we have, every year we have a DEI week 
And that is a week that every ERG has to come together, look at events that they can participate in together, look at ways that guests that we can bring in to have panel discussions so we can talk about that intersectionality. And I think that businesses they shied away from that happened there. Like they haven't really stopped to say, oh, why aren't we thinking about, you know, Jamie over there, he's gay, neurodiverse and disabled. Maybe he wants to talk about all three on the same platform rather than, oh, you can only talk about one thing because it's an international deaf person with disability. You know, we need to open ourselves up there um, to the intersectionality. We need to open ourselves up to that live experience because it all affects each other. Do you know what I mean? Like there's not just one pillar. These pillars, it's like a house foundation. Do you know what I mean? Your identity is like a foundation of a house. If you just have that one pillar, your house isn't going to stand. But when you have all these connected walls, I don't know how houses are built. I'm not going to buy here. But if you have all these connected walls, do you know what I mean? It's all connected. That was going to be a terrible analogy. <laughs> no, I'm with you. And obviously, you know, as I said before, this is something I'm really passionate about. It's something that gets missed so often. And if you look at um, diversity, equity and inclusion strategic plans, they do, more often than not, actually, more often than not, they don't have disability in them, and that's a whole other episode. Oh, yeah. um, but more often than not, they are very, very much structured in those individual pillars and all of the actions. There's no crossover. So hopefully something people will take away from this, including those that are part of an ERG, even if it is voluntary, is recognising that intersectionality within your own groups um, yeah, hopefully we can help to shift the needle. It's the same as like accessibility. Like, no, I, I think about accessibility and accessibility, not that it reminds me of intersectionality, but to me, there's a very clear connection between the two. You know, we think about accessibility as a thing that only benefits disabled people. But as I said earlier, accessibility benefits everybody. If you're using an electric toothbrush in the morning to brush your teeth, guess what? That toothbrush is made with disabled people in mind. If you are using automatic doors, was designed for people with disabilities, using a straw, you know, the list can go on, even with a blanket uh, or snook, you know, like those big hoodies, snuggies. So there's so many different things that are designed for people with disabilities that we all use. And I think about intersectional like that there. Um, there's a link between intersectionality and accessibility because intersectionality is about having this diverse, embracing your diverse, beautiful self, isn't it? And accessibility to me falls under inclusion. You know, being able to include everybody, being able to find a way to design that incorporates everyone. And I think there's a link between the two. And I think that accessibility isn't just, you know, getting into the building or applying for a job. It's having that conversation about your lived experiences because we all don't have the same opportunity in life. We all come from different parts. And it's like that equity versus equality. You can't have equality without equity. And that's the same as accessibility and intersectionality. I hope I'm explaining this properly in my head. I'm trying to explain it. But the link there is definitely that we have to be accessible. We have to understand that everybody comes from different parts of life. We then have to look that everybody has their own lived experiences. Everybody has their own challenges. Everybody is at a different stage of their own journey. So for me, the, there's a connection between that. And if you're an organisation who's boasting about your DEI, your diversity, equity, inclusion work, and you're not thinking about intersectionality or you're not thinking about accessibility, well, then you're not inclusive because you need to have that eyes inclusion. You need to have access and you need to have that intersectionality where people can be their authentic selves. Definitely. And as I always say, there's also no diversity without disability. So nope. we need the whole rounded picture. Stop leaving us off the agenda. <laughs> <laughs> so... You mentioned accessibility, and I can't have you on here 
Jamie, without talking camel case, because you've become like Mr. Camel on LinkedIn. <laughs> People tag me and be like, what's going on with LinkedIn here? And I'm like, I don't work for LinkedIn. I just support it for my program I do. Um, so camel case hashtag is where you use a capital letter for each new word in your hashtag. Now, when I started LinkedIn, this is what I kind of all came about. When I started using LinkedIn, I did not understand hashtag. And I can remember saying to my friend one day, I was just like, oh, this hashtag says, I can't remember the exact word, but it's like, this hashtag says this. And he's like, you know, that's really rude. Why would that be on LinkedIn? I was like, no, it's telling you, go look. And he's just like, no, it does not say what you think it does. And I can remember laughing. I actually must text and find out what it was. But I then was just like, right, I'm just going to use my screen reader for these hashtags because obviously I can't be trusted. Because I was running around saying probably the wrong things for a very long time. And then I, I can remember when a day came through and there was quite a long hashtag with loads of different words. And I was like, this screen reader isn't actually telling me what this is said. It's just shouting letters. And as I said, like I was completely possessed of realizing that they'd be and I was like, my mind can't focus on this. There's too much going on. There's too many letters. So I used to be sitting with my pen and almost write down what each letter was so I could then read it out and write the cap. And then the more I looked into it, I was just like, oh my goodness, this is actually called Camel Kiss or you can call it Pasta Kiss too. Camel Kiss is Pasta Kiss. And it was like, why isn't this standardized? So I began to write out, why isn't people using a capital letter for each new word? And I realized it's not just me, it, ben- it was impacting. And again, this is through conversations. I realized through my connections with LinkedIn, the people who are dyslexic couldn't really work it out. People who were ADHD also were saying, I find it really hard to focus on that. And then we, we, we know what happened to Susan Boyle, like the Susan um, album party, which did not read the way it should. Um, and like, you know, there's open interpretation, and that's what's happened to me. I realized it was open interpretation. Then I realized my screen reader couldn't use it. So I was like, I'm going to post about this every Wednesday because people need to know this, and platforms aren't standardizing it. And at the moment, I will say to LinkedIn, I have spoken to LinkedIn about their hashtag and getting them standardized. It is something they are in the process of looking into and trying to work out. I personally didn't realize the amount of work that goes into it because every, pretty much every word would have to go through this whole process and have to find a way of the algorithm and things like that. But they are looking into it. And, you know, I post about it every week, same as all kind of tips in social media marketing because, you know, 1.3, 1.3 billion plus people in this world experience or have some form of lived experience with disability. Why are we excluding them from our marketing? Why are we excluding them from our job posts? Why are we excluding them from sales? Why are you going on to LinkedIn and create content that you are point blank just refusing somebody who's using a screen reader? So that's why I started posting about it. And again, it was that frustration. It was just that frustration, like putting it in the paper. And I, I found Canva and found a way to start making graphics. And I'm going to be honest, I think my Canva license is now used for everything. I'm constantly making everything for work. Every poster, design, for podcast, you name it, I'm on it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I love it because I've been kind of preaching about camel case for, well, for years now. And so that's why when I created Be People Smart, I put a camel case hashtag in the company name because it was, you know, trying to make a point right from the off. So having a kind of kindred spirit, um, and you do more on it than I do, but having a kindred spirit in it is, yeah, it's great stuff. And I have to say, to my knowledge, and I say to my knowledge because people keep questioning this of me, I don't believe I'm neurodiverse, and yet there are so many hashtags where I'm. You're more patient than me. I'll read it twice, think I'm not really sure what that says, and then I just give up and I don't even care what it says. <laughs> like, see hashtags. But I can remember years ago. Do you remember when everybody was doing Instagram, and everybody was like hashtagging the life out of everything they were doing? It was like everything that was not photo they were posting, they were hashtagging it. And I had this circle of friends who. 
I'm gonna call them Instagram queens because they were just constantly trying to outdo each other. It's like, oh, I have 20 likes, oh, I have 30 likes. And I can remember sitting watching them trying to do these hashtags. And I can remember looking at the master being like, these don't make sense. These don't make sense. And that's the way I kind of think when I look at hashtags, when I go onto LinkedIn or other platforms, I look at them and I'm like, this makes, doesn't make sense. Why isn't this easy? Or like, why are we creating problems for people in the very thing that we use to find items, to find jobs, the things that we do to help our brand, help market, and we're making it more of a challenge. So like, it's a bit like hashtag Scrabble, I call it. And it's not a game of fun. It's a game of inaccessibility. And like, I don't know, I just, I just think that it's one small change to, to go back and whether it be two words, three words, four words in the hashtag, that's four letters you have to change now. And people will say, oh, it's easier just to do the drop down. It is easier just to do the drop down and it may take you a couple more seconds. But when you think about somebody facing inaccessibility, we face barriers every day of our lives. Why do you want to continuously add more time to us doing that? Yeah, no, definitely. And I love the fact that you're so vocal on it. And we have a bit of a challenge trying to get Jamie a photo with a real camel. So if anybody listening works at a zoo or a wildlife park or um, and can help make this happen, please get in touch. Because genuinely, we've been talking about this for a while. We have to get a photo of Jamie with a camel. <laughs> you know, I said, like, I, I, every Wednesday I post about this camel kiss. Um, hump day, hump, you know, the hump camel's back. Hump day, we post about it. And I would pay to see a camel. Like, we don't have them in Belfast Zoo. We don't have them in Dublin Zoo. And I did say to Jodie, I'm going to come over to mainland. I'm just going to have to find me a camel or drive me around if we find one. Maybe we'll have to go across the border or someone to go to France. But we will find a camel because I have never been on one. And I feel like I owe it to camels because I've talked about them so much now. <laughs> I feel like I'm the representative of camels now. <laughs> we, we, we have a challenge and we will meet it somewhere along the line. Um, Jamie, hopefully you've preempted this question because I know you listen to this podcast. Mm. But as the Harry Potter fan in me always comes out, and I have to ask the same question of all of my guest speakers. If I gave you a magic wand, so it's magic, it can be anything, mm. and you can wave that wand and change one thing to improve inclusion or accessibility, what would you do? I to my magic wand. I'm not going to fix my eyesight, by the way. Like, I don't want to sound silly if I had a magic wand. I don't want to fix myself. I would wait magic wand and make it a compl- legal compliance or like some regulation of everybody working within the diversity, equity, inclusion space to have to go through the fundamental courses of accessibility. Because how can we preach about being inclusive, all singing, all dancing, when we are missing out people who are using screen readers, people who are dyslexic, people who have cognitive disabilities. There's a whole range of diverse individuals that you're leaving out. So my wand is being waved and you're all going to go to your course. Enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. I'll deliver, it though. I'll deliver it though to keep it up. Right, <laughs> You'll do sorted. It. <laughs> so we're, we're going to wave this wand. If anybody wants um, that training so that you can make sure that you're actually fitting the right bill, reach out and uh, yeah, Jamie and I can enable you. Um, Jamie, what else would you like people to take away from this episode today? Because you've had so much to share, but I know you've always got more. Oh, God, do you know what else I do? Like, I hear myself speak when I hear this back. I'll be like, oh, my God, I sound like I'm doing my French GCSE. But then I'm like, should I have said more? For me, like, the biggest takeaway is if you're a person with your own life experience, we don't know the answers. You're, you should never be expected to know the answers. And there's this thing where when you disclose that you have a disability or you need support, that you, the onus is put on you. Well, actually, the onus isn't on you. The onus is on your employer to get you those adjustments. You do not have all the answers. And 
being able to advocate that and to kind of speak up and say, I need this is such an emotional journey. Be proud of yourself when you do. You kind of take comfort in those small moments because it can get frustrating when you don't speak up or you don't have the support around you. So what I would say is be kind to yourself. And if you're uh, an employer or organisation listening, please make sure that an employee can request adjustments, and not just one way, not just by having a conversation with a manager. An employee, not just those with disability or your divergence, should be able to request adjustment at any point, both either online or through an email or having that conversation. You should have multiple, multiple entry points to request that. I love that. Um, and I know that other people are going to as well, so they're going to be looking for you if they're not already connected in your like million LinkedIn followers. Um, <laughs> so we, I know we said you're on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. um, so that's one way, of course, people can find you. Yeah. How else can people find you, Jamie? What What's the best way for people to keep in touch? So definitely LinkedIn. I post on there every day, multiple times. Don't get sick of seeing my posts. Um, but I am also about to launch a new podcast and a new kind of scary venture for myself which is called the inclusivity um drop the wild inclusivity and it's hyphen t so we were a player there still sounds good to screen read it test stuff um but it is really much going to be around accessibility how you kind of have the individuals with the lived experience talk about accessibility so it's kind of a passion project and part of the linkedin accelerator program i'm doing um so it's contact me there get me my email jamie.shields.com the inclusivity.com, I had a think of that. I was like, do I give my work one or do I give this one? Let's not give the work one. Um, but yes, honestly, whatever way is most comfortable and accessible for you, I can talk to the back leg off a donkey. So if you do message me and you're comfortable with a voice note, start off with that. It's easier for me. <laughs> Excellent. I have absolutely no doubt you're going to get um, some contact through this. Jamie Shields, as always, um, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'm so glad you could join me today because I've wanted to get you on the podcast for ages. We finally found a time we could get in sync. Um, and you've been as powerful as you always are with your message sharing and as humble as you always are, ironically. So, yeah, just a big thank you from me for your time and for everything you shared with our listeners. No, thank you for having me. And I can't wait to have you remain as well. We have spent so long getting the start. Honestly, so happy to be here. Absolutely enjoy you. Thank you so much. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I have no doubt that you've enjoyed hearing from Jamie today. So as you heard, do reach out and definitely make sure you follow him on LinkedIn because he shares some of the most powerful and amazing posts that are going to keep you all educated and completely inclusive and accessible. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. We really hope you enjoyed it please rate us and leave us a review. We really want to know what you think. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the amazing guest speakers we have lined up.